So, you excited about next Wednesday? Wednesday the 10th. Live Facebook Zoomy day. Yeah, I'm, I, we've switched to doing Zoom for these calls. And I'll tell you what I don't like about it. What? I don't like the fact that I have to wait while you let me in. No, I like that. That feeling of power and control. <laughs> I have to admit you. <laughs> this is all you've ever wanted, isn't it? It is. I want to control you. <laughs> Good luck with that. Okay, episode 118, over to you. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to episode 118. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I've got a bad back. Oh, everything no, hurts. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. I've really, I'm, I'm doing this through pain. I think we all understand that men have incredibly high pain thresholds. <laughs> yeah, we know, do. We don't yeah. whinge about things, so <laughs> I'm suffering. Oh well, mate, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, anyway, uh, where were we? 118. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's Nick Page, and I'm Joe Davis. I'm just filling in the gaps for you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're helping out an injured man at the moment. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Why have you got a bad back? What have you been doing now? Well, I, this is the thing. It's really painful today, but I, I, don't, I never do it picking, doing anything strenuous or heroic. I never do it like that. I, 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 I don't, yeah. you know, I do it either picking up a bit of paper. I could, you know, be shifting rocks <laughs> yeah, and it would never affect me. Yeah. I, the other way I could do it is if I held a Bible in the wrong way. And yes. I don't know if you've seen any of that oh, this gosh. week. Oh, it's so depressing, isn't it? You know, I know we don't stray into the world of politics on this podcast, and, you know, wisely so, but at what point does do you just have to say enough's enough? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the Bible is a political book. You can't get it. I know people want to say you shouldn't mix, you know, religion and politics, but if, if you can read the Bible without seeing it, it's an immensely political... I just don't know how you can do that. You know, justice is the dominant theme, um, beginning to end, really. So, yeah, sometimes yeah. stuff happens and it's just so awful and so appalling. And there's nothing to laugh about in no. this, is it, at the moment? It's just unbelievable what's going our, on. Our thoughts are certainly with uh, you know, friends living in, in those areas and yeah. with, with people yeah. in America going through this. Yeah. Um, and... With, with the anger and everything i i feel very i can't really comment you know i feel mm. such a privileged position that i don't yeah. i can't even imagine what what no. the what life is like in that sense so mm. it'd be wrong to comment in any way but i agree with you there's something there's something sort of strange and wrong about holding up the bible as if it was a i don't mm. know proof of your political views or the the appropriateness of your behaviour. Yeah, there's something really ironic. There's something yeah. really ironic and odd about tear gassing protesters so that you can walk and stand outside a church. That's just yeah, um, yeah. that's just bizarre. Yeah, it really. is. I don't really have anything else to say about that. But yeah, no, our thoughts no. are with you, and especially yes. you know with the with with the black community that suffers so much. But here we are, you know, Western, middle-aged, middle-class white men and. Not a lot we can do about that, but no. our hearts are with you, and we hope for. I hope this will lead to change and justice. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yes, moving swiftly on. Do you want to see my lockdown reading? Yes, I yeah. do. Of course. Okay. I'm, oh, I've got to bend over. Oh, right. Nick, don't do. There it. we go. Look, 
Look, here's okay, what I'm well, reading. Wisdom Cricketer's Almanac 2020. Excellent. I'm sure that makes you very happy. And St. Augustine's City of God. No, that makes me just depressed thinking. Look at the size of that thing. I know. Why would anyone read that? Why read St. Augustine? I've had a bad experience of St. Augustine. You know, one of these books is a great and deep book of spiritual truth. And the other's St. Augustine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Always. right. <laughs> we know. You set them up. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> you, you'll oh, put them in dear. the back of the net. I'm so, quite enjoying Augustine, actually. He's all right. Yes. He's all right. He's wrong on so many levels, but at least he's, he, he, he's you can romp through it a bit. When it's that big a book, you don't feel like you have to read every, every uh, line. Really. Well, um, no. well, I don't understand that method of reading. I read very slowly and I read every line at least once. Anyway, that's, that's very good for you. Yeah, good. I saw something that you would like. Have you heard mm-hmm. of a film called A Boy Called Sailboat? No. Well, this is uh, frankly quite a random film, but I do think it's a Nick film. Character study. Little boy, he uh, finds a guitar, goes to visit his grandmother, and she says to him, "Write me a song." And he writes a song and, oh, does it have mystical, magical qualities? We just don't know. But it's uh, an amazing story with really great characters. And I just think you'd like it. Very random film indeed. A Boy Called Sailboat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for that. That's OK. What else have you been doing? Well, while I'm in the flow, Tuesday <laughs> night, I went out on the annual pig- pilgrimage to Ambersham Common to see the night jars. And they were churring all over the place. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible sound. Really? I wish I'd recorded some. Do you yeah. get to see them? Or do yeah, you? you do. Yeah, yeah. They've got this incredible flight. They sort of fly like butterflies almost. At yeah, time. they're, they're amazing them. things, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So Don't get great. them around here. Don't get them around here. No, of course uh, So we should talk about next week. We should. Um, well, it's our holiday. Well, my holiday. Are you on holiday yes. next week? No. no. No, just me. Oh, cannot wait. Anyway, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Wednesday the 10th at 7.30 BST, where you can come and see, watch Nick and I Zooming <laughs> and responding mm. to your comments on Facebook Live. So just go to our page and uh, we'll see you there or watch you there or whatever so we it is can't, we do. We, we can't see them. Is that yeah. how this works? They'll see us, but we won't be able to yes. see. It's not like Zoom where you've got a lot of, you know faces on the screen well it's because once we got over our anticipated limit of 12 people saying they wanted to come (laughs) and it's starting to look like the full 17 to 19 listeners were going to be all the listeners yes the entire listenership was going to show up we thought it might get a bit tedious for people Mm. um because you and i have you know, kind of want to be on screen. You can only have one screen locked on it. Blah, blah, blah. All technical stuff. I don't know what I'm even saying. But I did seem to thank you for all those who helped. Yes. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, perhaps that's putting it a bit strongly. I shall definitely turn up. Mm. Um, do, do we have to dress a dress code? Well, do you know, I don't know. I think I'm going to bring my PPE with me just in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I am. Um... <laughs> I've got some yeah. special PPE. I, I, I think probably some form of showbiz shirt is in order for everyone. Oh, OK. Is there yeah. a preferred mid-faith crisis drink for a Facebook Live meeting? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, generally I need a lot of hard alcohol to get through any meeting with you. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, perhaps that would be the first question we'll ask people. 
Um, right. Just tell us what you're drinking now, and they can all fill yeah. in a comment. I mean, a bit worrying. If people are watching from the other side of the Atlantic, it will be in the morning for them, yes. won't it, or midday or something. So I hope they're not going to you know, start drinking straight away. <laughs> It'll be an orange juice if we're in America yeah. and, uh, you know, lager if it's Australia, I presume. Well, it's always lager, isn't it? Aren't there cornflakes in Australia? Talking of which, shall <laughs> yes. we get into the feedback? Shall we? Yes. The You mean the Aussie-based feedback? The Aussie-based feedback to start with, yes. We've got a lot of feedback on this show. All of it very good. Let's yes. kick off with, with um, Shane. In fact, that's if, if it's feedback you're wanting to hear in this episode, you've come to the right place. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're going to do. So, Shane, he says, hello, gentlemen. Yes, the annoying Aussie. Uh, here again anyway i'm ignoring all his stuff about yes, sport yes. because yeah. i think that the thing is shane that's the only thing that makes you annoying you're a lovely chap but when you keep reminding <laughs> us how good you are at sport and how yeah. woefully inadequate we are you just do it does get annoying <laughs> so he says the debate on belief versus action is an interesting one and i must lean with nick that belief is first action is second I am no great saint, quite poor actually, but within myself it is my belief and convictions of a God who for the most part I do not understand, who frustrates me at times beyond my ability to bear, but nor can I truly live without him. I find that time and time again when life is too much and the voices before me are stark, or what some would say big sin is so so tempting, that in those moments of desperation I fall on my God-given convictions." I choose my belief to guide my actions to myself and others. This is not a set of dogmas, nor a long list of self-righteous doctrines. No, I left those at the door of failure to live up to them long ago. It is a belief in faith in one beyond myself that I can only at best sense. It is a belief in a hope that is so deep within me that drives me on, that there is more than the battles that scares of this life. And it's a belief that I am, even I, one such as me, is loved. These beliefs should then drive our thinking, flowing out in our actions. As our dear friend and mentor said in Renovation of the Heart, is this not our purpose? To think clearly is to take the information of Scripture into our mind directed by the Holy Spirit and to pursue the truth with the resolute intention of living it out. So that's Dallas Willard. He says... Is this not where most go wrong? They do not think clearly. They take in a lot of church doctrine and routine, but it doesn't settle as a true conviction, a true belief that shapes their lives. And without us truly believing it, we don't live it out and our life does not change. That is why people of supposed faith do such terrible things. They have never formed the true conviction of a God-inspired, Christ-sacrificial belief, and therefore they are the saddest people of all. Blessing to you mm. both. Stay well. Thank you, Shane. I think that was really where we were trying to get to over the last couple of uh, sessions. You know that for me, I think it's about the really big beliefs, the foundational beliefs. And I think we can get sort of muddled up because, you know, we think that a lot of doctrine that people espouse is really their beliefs. Well, I'm not sure actually it is. No. I just think it's no. I, I think it it doesn't, as he says, settle. It doesn't settle. Those kind of doctrines don't settle because either they don't matter or we're not convinced by them, or because actually they have no practical outworking, so they don't actually mean anything. So, you know, I'm not, I think where you were going was, you know, a frustration with people who go bang on and on about doctrine. Yeah. And, and yet you're not very interested in that anymore, no. those kinds of doctrines. No. Um, but I did read this thing in, in Augustine, funny enough, oh, where he, no. He, he wrote, no, 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 cut him some slack. He wrote 
he said this the consecrated body is the instrument of the consecrated will and that's kind of the, what i think i come to that you actually you, you, you i'm not make you don't make a good job of it a lot of the time and you know you do get these blips and these things where the beliefs seem to go out the window because actually what you want to do is totally different we'll talk about that in a little while but your will has been consecrated in, and that should guide your belief that's yeah, that's how i, I kind of feel i, I think it's a, my only discomfort at the conversation i guess is that you know the place of grace and messing up and forgiveness oh, and yeah. everything so yeah. for example i think i do have real true core beliefs and you know if the, if i then you know for want of a better less loaded word sin mm. I mean, I think the argument goes, oh, well, then you didn't really believe your beliefs enough. And I think, well, hmm, maybe we've got to look at the difference between beliefs and believing and the process of of a belief becoming a conviction, to use yeah, Shane's yeah. language. You know, because I think, you know, like as he was saying, you know, sin looks so, so tempting. And he says, and he relies on that external sense of, you know, con- God-given convictions to lean on that at those moments. But... But if, but if on that occasion he did actually sin, does that mean that those beliefs were non-existent? Or, do you know? Do you see what I mean? I, I'm not well, sure. Well, I think it's we should clear cut as that. Anyway. Yeah. No. No. Well, I think we're going to pick up on this because there's mm. there's an email later on that. that yeah. Yeah. Very sure. much talks about this, and so that's mm. that's a really interesting thing. What happens at those moments? I yeah. Think. I guess. Um, it, yeah. What's more real to you in that moment? Yeah. Yeah. Good. So. Next one. Uh, well, this is from John, who says, Hi, Joe and Nick. Hope this finds you both well. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast from the very beginning. It's often given me much to think and laugh about. And he says, I've just listened to your episode from the 23rd of May, where you have, where you two have a discussion, in inverted commas. That means that we, had, <laughs> we had a bit of a row, didn't we? About, we whether didn't it, really <laughs> about whether it matters what we believe. Can I ask a question? Does it matter if one of us is believing the wrong thing? Now, he says this, as a scientist, I could prove to most people beyond reasonable doubt that cork floats in water because I can repeat the experiment. But I can't do this with Jesus and his divinity. It is possible that he is God, was with the Father and Spirit at the creation of the earth, left that place and became limited by being a human for 30 odd years and is returned to be with the Father and the Spirit. It is also possible that Jesus was a hugely gifted human being, was full of the life full of the life force, taught and performed some miracles and then died and is still dead. Now, I can't prove either of these is true or untrue. I can give some evidence, but I can't give proof. But it is likely one of them is true. Doesn't that matter? He says, if I believe that Jesus was God in the sense Nick was arguing and he isn't, then I would want to know that. And equally the opposite. If I believe that Jesus was just a man, but turned out to be genuinely God, then equally I would want to know that. My point is that surely it does matter what I believe. There are some facts in the same way it is a fact that cork floats in water. To believe in something that isn't true or to not believe in something that is true is not good for me. He says, I hope Hmm. this makes sense. Thanks once again and keep up the good work. Yeah, well, I I think that's, that's an interesting one. I think that's true about facts. I mean, it's true you can't prove a lot of, you know, that's what makes it faith. But equally... It seems to be an alarming tendency these days not to believe in just facts. Yeah. You know, so not everything can be a choice of belief, I don't think. I think that's really important. No. 
I think it, I think also, you know, we're argue, you know, I've seen Christians arguing over this thing. You know, was Jesus? I mean, I guess this is old as the church. Was Jesus mm. truly God with the Trinity? Was he a man? You know, mm. filled with the Spirit of God? You know, blah 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 blah. It's one of those things. I think I don't know. I don't know, and it might not matter. But my point is simply this. You know, you know, am I a loving man? Am I a loving human being? What's the answer to that? You know, yes or no? It's, you know, give me a factual answer to that question. No. Yeah. Well, thanks. You've you've just proved it. Thanks. Yeah. Thank yeah. I've been I've been hoist, hoist by my own petard. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the point is sometimes, <laughs> but perhaps a bit. You know, there are some things in life that just that approach to life, that rational approach, will let you down. I this I know this sounds like the most almighty cop out of this, but I just think you know when it comes to love. It's difficult to quantify factually, mm. you know, so, yeah. Are we talking here about the difference between belief and knowledge? So, you know, what the kind of things that uh, John was talking about in that email mm. are sort of scientific knowledge. Yeah. And if, his, if historical evidence came about that mm. completely undermined the, the, you know, that absolutely proved that Jesus was... I don't know, not not didn't rise again or anything like that. Mm. You'd be dealing with that kind of knowledge. As that yeah. thing is not there, what you're dealing with is eyewitness testimony, yeah, which you can take on trust or not, which you can believe yeah. in or not. Exactly. Yeah. So that for me is the difference. I I believe in the gospel accounts. Mm. I can't prove them. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think anyone ever will. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, it's interesting. Lots to think about. I wish we had a philosopher handy. Yes, yes. So uh, I'll do the next one, shall I? Um, yeah, why not? This is from Angus. Now, Angus is, is uh, really good and, as usual with Angus, quite long. Yes. And uh, detailed email, <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, beautifully structured. And one of the things I liked about the email was he likened me to Plato and you to Aristotle. Hmm. Well, yeah, you know, were they Brazilian midfielders? I think. I can't remember. In the 1970 <laughs> Cups, I think. Anyway. Um, and but he, what he was uh, writing about, uh, so I'm going to have have to basically the email. But what he yeah. was writing about was is exploring some of the reasons why we might act against our beliefs, which is what yeah. we were talking about yeah, just yeah. A, sure. a, a moment ago. Yeah. And and here's a quote. He says, well, "So why might we act against our beliefs?" He says, "The answer is usually some unpleasant consequence might consequence might accompany the doing of the good or right thing that we believe, hmm. or alternatively, that some pleasure would accompany doing the wrong thing." such as gratification of a desire for food or sex. Thus, doing the wrong thing could be seen as acting in one's short-term interests rather than for a long-term gain, i.e. a failure of delayed gratification. Mm. But he, here's, the, here's the interesting, uh, another interesting bit that I, th I thought was really uh, mm. important, and uh, this is uh, Angus's background in, in mm. science. He said, it's also very interesting that when we think about performing an action in the brain, the same pathways are involved as when we actually perform the action. Yeah. Mm. as well as some extra final pathways to motor nerves and muscles. Thinking, he says, ain't that different from doing, which, of course, lends credence to Jesus' teaching that if you lust after someone other than your partner, then you're committing adultery inwardly. Mm. Bad or wrong actions start as wrong desires, then wrong beliefs, then wrong plans, then wrong actions, but it's all a continuum. Yeah. And he went well, on that's... to look at how some sort of doctrinal beliefs, particularly how we view God, might affect our, our 
behaviour, including God as a personal being, and, and in Angus' view, a heat. But um, we'll leave that aside because no, you'll, no, you'll get all frothy and angry. Don't get me going on that. But I think that's it. And that's what we yeah, were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, if those moments when you act against some yes. of your most cherished beliefs about who yeah, you exactly. are and who you want to be and who God is, because the short-term gain, as yeah. you see it, is so strong. And yeah. that's where I think grace comes in in terms of what you were saying. And yeah. um, So I think it's too much when I say, like, oh, well, if you do this, then you clearly didn't believe it. On mature consideration, by mature, I mean two weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, I think you have this sort of blackout of your beliefs, don't you? Yeah. You exactly. know what you're supposed to do, and you do really believe yeah. in your heart that you're supposed to act in yeah. this way. But yeah. in the moment... Yeah, the anger takes over, or the or the yeah, or, or the the lust, or whatever, or the or the greed, or what you know, all this stuff takes Gluttony, over. Yeah, 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 and your beliefs become compartmentalized, shut off from your, yeah. from your will, and the, the the consecrated will is has gone out the window, yeah. really. Yeah, and then that, that makes sense of Paul banging on about the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I really yeah. want not to. Yeah, yeah. But I do think in the long term, the broader picture is that your actions do display your beliefs even you know certainly at some moments yeah. your actions can go against that but i think if you took if you look at somebody's life in the bigger picture then i think that's where you can take you can extrapolate yeah. out a bit more it is a it's a fascinating conversation and of course there's like you say there's a world of philosophy behind it and um you know i think about weight loss as well and stuff like that you know people that really want to mm. lose mm. weight and you know really want to and they go on and they sort of force themselves and it seems to me that for it to be successful, there's got to be a fundamental shift in beliefs about food, and you can't you can't just go on going. I really want that burger and those chips because it's mm. so delicious and so good. But I must fight it. You know, if that if your belief is as that is the most delicious thing in the world and it's going to make you feel absolutely brilliant if you eat it, um. Mm. That's a belief that is no way is ever going to support weight loss. Whereas if you can start to scratch around and, and learn about what that stuff might be doing to your body, it might eventually lead to a whole different belief about what a burger is and what it does. And then hopefully, I guess, you would desire it less or not as often. I don't know. I don't know about that stuff. Another, another way, my daughter has a belief that a burger can be made of corn. And that mm. uh, that certainly helps with that thing because uh, that changes your whole concept of what a burger actually is. <laughs> Don't you go upsetting the vegetarians and vegans. Oh, I know. Anyway, so moving swiftly on, if I may, to Steve. He says... He says, I'm slowly catching up with you and Nick during lockdown. Today I listened to episode 87, in which you discussed how to deal with the differences of opinion, for example, over Brexit. I think this episode must have been broadcast just under a year ago. Brexit? 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 Yeah. What's that? I don't <laughs> really remember that. Oh, don't you long for the days when the news <laughs> is about Brexit. Anyway. <laughs> he says, I found the discussion very interesting, particularly regarding our natural inclination to think that our opinion is always right and therefore to be defensive of opposing views. And he says, for the past 15 years, I've been a volunteer with the Feast Youth Work Charity. 
He's given the website address there. And he says, our aim is to bring young people from different faiths and cultural backgrounds together to share food, fun and dialogue in order to break down any barriers of misunderstanding, prejudice or fear that may have developed in the bubbles in which we sometimes or often reside. And then he, and then he talks about these guidelines. He says, over the years, we found that these guidelines enable us to state sometimes very strong opinions, but in a way that don't threaten someone else's view, which may, of course, be very different to ours. I think that one that stands out to me is the one that says, do not treat someone as a spokesperson for their faith or culture yeah and he says the inverse is also helpful i am not a spokesperson for my faith or culture i will tell you what i believe but not what others believe that's up to them to tell their story and he said this approach seems to help break down the stereotype that all christians think this or all muslims think this and and he said he had some you know really revolutionary changes in young people's lives over the years it's an amazing thing perhaps we can put those guidelines up on the website yeah yeah well it sounds like amazing work it's gone international he talks about that um yeah. i think that's a really good that particularly that one about um i'm not a but you know i yeah. don't treat me as a spokesperson for the culture i'm not a i'm not that's great and I, I do feel that with this podcast a bit don't you i mean i do yeah. think yeah you know are these are my views they're not you know exactly. I'm, I'm i'm only a representative for the church of nick that's yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. It's a very small and struggling church. And, and <laughs> you know, I have to say that some of the members aren't giving enough, if I'm honest. And, uh, you know, but but <laughs> but I, d I don't know how far do you feel that you're speaking on behalf of no, a group when you do no, this No, no, I don't. No, I don't at all. I think I think it's us. And I think, I, you know, I don't even suppose there is a a in any way a sort of homogenous mid-faith crisis community we're all so different but what we can do is sort of bandy together in a podcast like this and give one another support so there mm. it is it's a safe place to question mm. and to talk about things and no question is off limits but well, talking of questions um yes shall I, shall I do the next one yeah from rachel yeah so, yeah okay. i gave her a number you may notice because there are many listeners to the show called rachel okay uh, this is Rachel number 56, apparently, according to Joe's numeric system. I don't know <laughs> how it rather worries me how he's cataloguing all these Rachel. I, I hope she's know. on it. <laughs> it's worrying like stalking. Anyway, um, <laughs> hi, Joe and Nick. I love PC Anon's Theology of I Don't Know. Yeah, it was yeah. great, wasn't it? Yeah. This should definitely be a required module for all prospective reverends. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> it made me think, why do we find it so hard to ask questions? And do we seem to be programmed to feel the need to provide the answer? Jesus asked hundreds of questions. He was also asked tons of questions and rarely gave a direct answer, often mm. answering a question with another question. Did he? I don't know. Are you saying he did? I don't know. Are you? Sorry. <laughs> uh, I love this about Jesus, but it infuriates me, angers me, sorry, frustrates me that we don't seem to be encouraging genuine questioning in churches and we fall into the trap of always needing to provide the right yeah. answer. Yeah. I think this is perhaps a cultural thing. And we need to unlearn the idea of there being a right and a wrong, which seems to be so deeply embedded in our faith culture. It's so much more complex and more exciting than that. Anyway, thank you both again for your podcast. Questions raised, no questions answered. <laughs> that's true enough. Isn't yeah, yeah, that's it? But weirdly seems to be drawing me even closer to the God who I know loves me. Great. Good stuff. Thank, well, thank you, Rachel. Yes, thank thank you, you, Rachel, number 56. Um, yeah. I, I, there was a quote in um, Annie Dillard's book, uh, uh, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Oh, yeah. Where she Great she book. she takes a quote from the Bible. It's slightly out of context, but I think it's a wonderful thing. It, it's from, I uh, who's it from? Is it from Ezekiel? So I, mm. I'll find the right one when I put mm. the link up. 
but it, it talks about how he, he excoriates at false prophets who he says you haven't gone to the gaps. What he means is you haven't gone to the hard places of the walls, the gaps in the walls where there right. were, you know, there were all these. But she sort of interprets it as, you know, our, our call is to go to the gaps, the mystery places, yeah. the bits where things are hard and tough and mm. where there's no easy, you, you can't sit easily there. Yeah, and true prophets go there, and and I th- I just found that a really, really rich good. image, really rich image that we have to be in- intentional about going to the gaps. Yeah, um, absolutely. I was talking to someone mm. uh, just yesterday morning about um, leadership, and you know we were talking about how vulnerability is so much more powerful in leadership yeah. than certainty. Yes. In fact, and there were yes. times when you need both. Uh, mm. But uh, or to choose one or the other, but vulnerability really communicates. So I, I was going to think, ask you about how you well, that que- that non-questioning culture within a church from a church leader's yeah. point of view, and how yeah. do you think you dealt with that during your your reign as a pastoral El Supremo, uh, mm, as I believe absolutely. you were called? Yes, I insisted on that. El title. Pastorale. <laughs> I said, hey, gringo, let us go to the dark place <laughs> together. Uh, we go to the gaps. <laughs> yeah. Questions. How do, you, how do you deal with them as a leader? Uh, well, I, well here's, here's my non-professional answer. I listen to them. <laughs> I mean, I, and I really did listen to them mm. hard. I don't, you know, it's it's like that. You know, am I a loving person? Some things don't really need an answer. You know, and sometimes the question someone presents with isn't the real question anyway. So, you know, you can actually be answering a question sometimes that's not really a question, um, or isn't the question. Yeah. Okay. I think the unhealthy relationship between pastor and congregant is parent-child. Yeah. I'm the expert. Let me tell you how it is. Come on, bring your questions to me. You know, you want to know what two plus two is? It's five. Listen to me. I know the truth. You know, so I think that is not my style and not my preferred option. I think I am a fellow human being and traveller and you've got some you've got some questions and you've got some questions underneath the questions you're presenting with. And let's find out why that's important. And let's sit with the questions. That sounds Mm. woefully inadequate, doesn't it? But that's what I did. (laughs) No, I think it's the other. The other thing is that churches, I mean, questions by their very nature can be destabilizing. You know, they can be mm. upsetting. But I think unanswered questions or unaddressed questions can be even more disturbing. Mm. It's just they don't do it at a big level. But what they do is they disturb the individual, and they'll sit yeah. there and they'll gnaw away. They'll be like yeah. a splinter that eventually goes septic on something and poisons the whole mm. relationship. Because, all because the person didn't feel. Yeah, that they could ask that question. No, and it's really good to ask questions. You know, I mean, I'm thinking about the laments in the You know, how long? How long? Mm. Oh Lord! No, there wasn't an immediate answer to that question, but wasn't it pretty healthy for them all to get together and just start shouting and chanting and singing how long? Yes. Together, yes. I think it probably was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Great. Okay. Well, it's uh, gosh, we're well, covering some ground here today, yeah, aren't we? Is that, am I up for this one? Yeah, you do this one. Okay, from Helen. She says, Dear Joe and N. Like it. Uh, <laughs> she saved herself so much time there as well. 
Mm. He says, if you want to cause real consternation among Christians who profess that the Holy Spirit is God, start a prayer with Holy Spirit. We worship you and ask you. She says, they will come up to you afterwards with 10 reasons why it's not acceptable to pray this way. Oddly enough, they don't seem to accept the argument that even if the Holy Spirit is God, then it's OK to pray to him or her. He says, I personally have three very distinct members of the Trinity and almost always pray to Jesus. But what really, really riles me is that communion when someone prays, Father, thank you for dying on the cross. I want to leap <laughs> up and tell them this is patriopas. Oh, I can't even say this. Patriopasianism. Thank you. And they would have been executed as a heretic for this in past times. Mm. And she says, when I first became a Christian, I had four people in the Trinity. And she says, this is a heresy that isn't in the books. There was God, big and scary, Jesus, my friend, the Holy Spirit, who nuked Ananias and Sapphira and did miracles and spectacular scary things and was therefore on the, on the God side of the equation. But when I asked what the little warm glow was I had inside me after I was converted, I was told that was the Holy Spirit, which did not compute. So I decided that there has to be Jesus, Holy Spirit, to be on the friendly side of things, hence four people in my trinity. <laughs> it's like two aside, really, yeah, isn't it? it? It's like it's doubles like, at tennis. <laughs> hope the technological hitches are vanquished for your sakes next time and uh, do keep going on with the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wrote back to Helen with the, you know, with the whole thing about, you know, Rublev's icon. Um what about, you know, what about Rublev's Well, you know, he, he depicts the three angels who come to visit as, as, as you know, the three members of the Trinity. Mm. So it's this incredible icon. In fact, here it is on my wall. It's the only icon I have up. Well, and, well the original? Uh, yes, yes, I stole it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know. Oh. Well, don't tell Rublev, he'll be very upset. Um, <laughs> anyway... Um, you know, and they're sort of sat round a table and there's this gaze. I mean, it's an incredible picture and structure and, uh, you know, all the things that an icon should be. But but, but the evidence is that there was this resin on the table that none of the experts really had come across before. And the belief was that that held a mirror. And so the idea was that as you are gaze at the Trinity and this icon, actually what's reflecting back at you is you so you are becoming as it were the fourth member of the trinity at mm. the table in this like which i think is a amazing thought mm. and does yes that's one of your fun facts actually. that is one of my fun facts yeah the mirror yeah because well, it, it's not proven it, it could just have been a bit of chewing gum there's but, no yeah. evidence nobody ever mentions a mirror as far as i can tell the first person to talk about a mirror is richard fluffy raw <laughs> Who wants there to be a mirror there? He I mean, just... there might have been a mirror there. Uh, they, I think it's to do... He says something like, some art historians, mm. but he doesn't tell you who are, who they are. It could be his friend, Eric Art Historian, or something. Yeah. You know. Well, Eric is very reputable, and he normally gets these things right, can I point so out? I, I, I learned that on the internet. Thing, <laughs> the whole mirror thing is extremely... Not least, because the whole of the icon for most of its life was covered up with a gold um, uh, covering. They would they would cover they would cover a lot of it up so you could only see the faces. Anyway, but I do think the idea though is strong. The deific you know, and the Greek fathers certainly talk about deification, mm. about theosis, yeah. being becoming yeah. God, that God, mm. and so that sense of be, almost becoming part of the Trinity, not in the same sense as as as, as Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God, but actually becoming Christ-like means what it what it says. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. that that comes back to what the the other emailer was saying about knowing things, knowing facts, you know, just yeah. the mirror thing, just you know. 
just the mirror thing. But I, but I mean, I mean, going back to this kind of wishy-washy view of the scary Holy Spirit and yet oh, the Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah. This, I mean, I, I just think you know, back to that whole thing about you know, all there is is God, and we're you know, the ship, the sunken ship in the sea, and you know, the seas in the ship, and ships in the sea, and all that stuff. You know, I just think we're floating in a <laughs> I don't universe. Know where you're going with this? What? No, no, what you, you're rambling. No, I was told this, you the about ship this. in the sea, the seas in the no, ship. No, we talked because I explained it fully in another podcast. <laughs> I didn't want to go through it all, but like, I just think that if you want to think about God, you know, in Him we breathe and have our ah, being. Ah, yeah. Okay. All things hold together immersed. in God. So if we think of ourselves as a sunk ship in the sea, and and all of the ship is in the sea, but not all of the sea is in the ship because God is much bigger than that. So we don't point at each other and go, look, there's God. But we do see something of God in each other by virtue of the fact that God is in all of us. So there. So we are all sunk ships. Yeah, there is no hope. <laughs> anyway, and then, uh, OK, so uh, now from Lisa. And uh, she says... Hi, Joan Nick. Thanks to the podcast, The Theology of I Don't Know. I laughed out loud listening to it. It was so refreshing to know that other people don't have a clue about things we think we should know about as mature Christians. A real weight has been lifted off my shoulders and I'll ha- happily tell people I don't know without hesitation in the future. Oh. So I must admit to getting a bit perplexed at hearing you refer to God as she. As a woman, I have no problem with God being a man. Sounds like she's been talking to Angus. Uh, <laughs> says, Jesus was definitely born male and is referred to as the son of God. Saying that, it struck me that the Holy Spirit could very well be female or even, dare I say it, gender neutral. Ooh. The caring, nurturing, still small voice of the Holy Spirit does feel feminine. On the subject of speaking in tongues, I started attending church when I was 13 in 1980. This was during the height of Billy Graham rallies, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues and falling over a lot. Uh, I naturally assumed this to be the norm, but it happens very rarely in the church I go to now. I occasionally pray to God in tongues during private prayer times with him. I do this when I don't have the words to say or I'm not sure what I should be praying. Last month... My brother, now this is a sad bit. Last month, my brother took his own life after battling with mental illness. Mm. The words I had spoken to him on the weeks leading up to his decision weren't enough. When I approached God in prayer, there were no words. I couldn't explain the turmoil I was feeling inside and had no idea what to pray for. I started praying in tongues and the prayer just flowed out of me, as did the uncontrollable tears. I have no interpretation for my prayers, but I know God hears them and understands them. I'm left with an overwhelming sense of God's peace and presence. And she says, your podcasts have helped me through some really tough times. Thank you so much. God bless, Lisa. Ah, oh, well, Lisa, firstly, um, just want to say so sorry for your loss. Mm. You know, it's just the worst thing to deal with. But I, I thank you for writing in with that because isn't that great? It's like mm. I haven't got the words to express everything that is in my heart at the moment. And so you're like given this gift and off you go. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's groaning. And, and I believe the tears and the crying were equally part of the praying in tongues. Mm. You know, that mm. that was the prayer as well. And that seems to me to be very, very authentic indeed. As for the 1980s and falling over and barking and all the things, you know, I remember the Toronto blessing. Mm. And um, you know, the, 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 one of the things that was laughter. Do you remember? You know, yes, yes. La- and I kind of think well, that's that's quite a good gift for God to give a kind of 
British nation, you know, the kind of stiff yes. upper lip, tight lip, yes. non-emotional. I, I could sort of imagine that that would be a move. I've got, well, I, you know, I'll, sh- I'll show them. Let's just have well, a really good belly yes. laugh. <laughs> A friend of mine does laughter yoga or something. I mean, you sort of lie on the floor and, and laugh. <laughs> and um, I, I would laugh if you attempted that in front of me. Well, well some, sometimes we lie on the floor and laugh, but it's <laughs> after a different form of recreation. But, you know, mostly <laughs> drinking. But, um, yeah, I, I think what I took from that email was, firstly, yes, really touched by your loss and feel for mm. you. But I think the other thing is that I've been thinking a lot about what was good about my experiences back then? Mm. And maybe we should do this as a future episode. So what would I write to my former self? You know, what would yeah. I, or rather, what would I yeah. thank my former self for? Mm. You know, yeah. what what kind of places I went, what kind of experiences I had, what would I thank my former self? Because I think it's very easy in mid-faith crisis to look back and go, oh, well, that was the thing I did then. You know that was what that was what we did there, and we didn't know any better. We were a bit daft, you know, and all this mm. kind of stuff. But I think a lot of it was incredibly formative, and I think one always has to be open to those experiences coming back in mid faith crisis, yeah. or you know, it, they'll be different, and our attitude to them would be different, I guess. But yeah. what what Lisa's email shows, I think, is that just the the necessity for. Yeah. Un unvocalized prayer, you know, that when you don't have anything else to say. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing about being perplexed about hearing me refer to God as she, I mean I I tried to be careful and not like you know, not trying to be right on and cool and ultra liberal or, or anything like that. I just I just think, yeah, a certain part of my own journey thinking of God as a man isn't you know, I am a man, so why would that ever be a problem? Point number one. Point number two, you know, it's it's helpful at certain stages of the journey to, to just know enough and to think, no, that is absolutely unquestionable. That's the thing with mid-faith crisis. Some things aren't, aren't questionable for a while, and that's okay. God's gentle with us. God's mm. loving. So, you know, we have what we need to have at that time. But if, as you go through life, the masculine imagery becomes too much i genuinely think it's very legitimate to explore mother god i mm. really do mm. um but but not not to throw that out to everyone is you're wrong to just think of god yeah, as a man yeah, and yeah, masculinity yeah. you know that, i think just that's ma- the thing just yeah. makes you a pain in the neck really but, uh, well so yes and you can be yes well i do perplex people but i, I don't intend to uh okay no, no you're not really uh so we're going to end with this. We're going to end with an email from a different John. Yes, um, exactly. and we will make it the last thing because it's got a really nice poem at the end. So, thank yeah. you for listening, everybody. And uh, before we get into this, and uh, thank you to all of you who contribute. That's that's remarkably kind of you. Um, it is. Thanks to everybody who writes in because this we, we, the last few weeks we just had some amazing yeah. uh, feedback, yeah. and uh, we're we're very grateful for that. We are, and we hope to see you on wednesday yeah we ought to say uh, joe is taking a break so next week we probably won't be doing a podcast we'll do the we'll do the um, live stream or whatever it is yeah and then we'll take a break and then we'll be back after that with an interview with jeff lucas yes indeed uh talking of our younger selves and our early days in in in, uh, (laughs) sort of the christian world was a big figure he still is a big figure i suppose he is fabulous anyway 
Hmm. Anyway, so that Joe's done an interview with him. So yeah. let's let's end with this email from um as Joe calls them, a different John. You see, you gave Rachel numbers, but you're not numbering the Johns. Here. No, no, I, I did not. It's just there's been so many Johns, I just haven't numbered them all. But I would okay. think it's safe to say he's John 98. John 98, okay. Yeah. And he says this. Uh, Dear Joe and Nick, firstly, it's about time I said a hearty thank you for the marvellous pod that you cast. I was a late arrival to the ball that you've been having, cutting in on the action about episode 50. Uh, it was Nick who pointed me in your direction after you mentioned the podcast in a talk he gave at a writer's weekend. Oh, yeah. In terms of my faith journey, I've been in this place of faithful doubt or doubtful faith for probably a decade for following a series of unfortunate events. Over the last couple of years, I've begun to settle into a place where I can aim at following Jesus and where I don't have to be right or have an answer about everything. I loved the theology of I don't know from PC and on mentioned in episode 117 that summed it up nicely. Recently, I had an interesting experience whilst in the socially distanced queue outside my local supermarket. It's only a little thing, but it really made an impression that has stayed with me. A friend encouraged me to write it down, so I did. And here it is. And he says, it gives a little note and says, please note there are two titles. I had to change the second as some people missed the implied reference to Exodus 3. But our podcast listeners are very clever. They would get that. They anyway, get that. and he's, he calls it either Sainsbury's 0930 or Supermarket Bushfire. Six to 20 feet apart in the stillness. As I waited in the silent shopping queue, I saw him, a big man, beard, builder's hands, attending to a newborn, still-crinkled leaf with the gentleness and fascination of a new father, totally lost in wonder at the sunlit tree by the low car park wall. And do I regret that I did not speak with him? No. And do I regret that I did not also study this marvel? No. This I regret. I left my shoes on. <laughs>